So throughout the service today, we'll have bits of the chapter of Acts 2 interspersed throughout the service so we get the story all throughout. So Acts 2, verse 1 to 13, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. 
Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, that you love us so much that you sent your spirit into the world. We pray that we would know your presence now as Pete comes to speak to us. Be with him. Help him to speak truthfully and clearly to us from your word. Amen. Well, it was the popular Jewish festival of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after the, the Feast of the First Fruits, the end of the grain harvest. It was also 50 days after Jesus had miraculously risen from the dead, and about 10 days, or was exactly 10 days, since he had ascended into heaven. So there were Jews everywhere. They'd come from all over the place and descended on Jerusalem for this festival. But the Christians weren't celebrating. They were actually keeping a low profile. Before Jesus returned to heaven, he said to wait for the one who God would send. And after that time of waiting they could begin their mission to tell the whole world the good news about him. So about 120 Christians were gathered, 120 in a large home in Jerusalem. There were these big mansions in Jerusalem, and the archaeologists have found them to this day. So we suspect there was a, a Christian amongst those 120 who had a big house. They were waiting, they were worshipping, after the long shutdowns of 2020, I could understand why we might think waiting indoors for days on end is tedious and boring. Waiting feels like a waste of precious time. We've got stuff to do, places to be. 
But to God, waiting is a form of worship. Uh, The famous Christian writer N.T. Wright says, True worship is open to God, adoring God, waiting for God, trusting God, even in the dark. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were comforting each other, talking, praying, singing songs, eating and sleeping. The kids were playing games and laughing and complaining, saying that they were bored all the time. While the disciples were waiting, all of a sudden, God moved powerfully among them. They heard a sound of a thunderous wind, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind from heaven. And they saw flames of fire land on their heads. This was similar to the kind of appearances that God used to make in the Old Testament with Moses. But this fire wasn't like that. It was a little bit different because it wasn't the fire of God's judgment coming down to consume them. No, these tongues of fire were God's heavenly glory and his divine presence. Now, others had been filled with the Spirit before. We read about this in the Bible, even as recently as John the Baptist and his mum, Elizabeth and Zachariah, had been filled. Only there was something new about what the Spirit was doing in this moment as the Spirit filled these Christians. What the Holy Spirit was doing here was marking a new beginning. The disciples were being filled for the first time, empowered to serve God. They were filled because they had been saved and their lives were being transformed. John once baptised with water, but now the disciples were baptised with the Holy Spirit. And so a crowd started to gather outside, sticky-beaking, outside the home where the Christians were, and others actually had heard this sound of the thunderous wind. All they could hear were these Christians inside and then coming outside. So I think they were coming out of their home, just talk, walking around talking in different languages, languages that people could understand. But they're all talking about the same thing, which was Jesus and his resurrection and his salvation for the world. There were people in the crowd who had travelled for many days and weeks to be at this festival, Jews, and yet these Christians could understand They could hear Aramaic, they could hear Greek, they could hear Coptic, they could hear Arabic. It was a cacophony of sound, but it was also intriguing. They said to themselves, aren't these all Galileans? How are these uneducated Galileans speaking all these different languages? Where did they learn this? God had gifted the languages familiar to each linguistic um, group in the crowd. This was God's initiative to make the disciples' mission possible. God was bringing the gospel home to those who were listening to it. The people in the crowd were from about five different major areas, the Caspian Sea, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, North Africa, Rome, and the Mediterranean. And then there were others from other smaller regions around the place. The gospel was arriving to them in Jerusalem, but soon it would arrive in their homelands as well, and then keeping on spreading around the world, to all the continents and even to us in Australia. This was amazing and they were amazed and perplexed at what they were seeing. And some of them were so perplexed that they were a bit cynical and they mocked them saying that they were drunk. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, Paul says, Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And you can understand a little bit why he might say that, given what had happened at Pentecost. The Christians were confidently, confidently preaching the gospel in public and they had lost all their inhibitions, similar to the way one does when you've had too much wine. I know from asking people if they want to do their first ever sermon how filled with fear they get. I mean, I, I know as I say, would you like to preach your first ever sermon? They just go pale. All the blood runs from their face and they freak. And the ones who go, sure, I'd really love to do that. I'm going to be great. They're the ones you've got to worry about. But the ones who are in fear, that's normally what happens. And, and for most of these Christians, I'm pretty sure probably all majority of the 120, this was their first ever time of preaching the gospel out loud like this, in this kind of way. And yet they had a kind of, they'd lost all their inhibition. But in another sense, they were nothing like a drunk person. Around our office in Fitzroy, there are many people on the street, and it's a sad thing to see. And if you hang around later at night, you see a lot of really drunk people as well. Um, and these drunk people often look fairly depressed because alcohol is a depressant. It might give you a, some a temporary kind of rush of some kind, an induced happiness because you're distracted from your struggles in life. But this is achieved through depressing your brain. But when the Holy Spirit fills you, it's the opposite of drunk because you're not depressed, you're filled with joy. You become more aware of your reality. You become aware of God's love for you. You stand in the glorious sunbeams of his love. And the reality that the Christians had come aware of was that God had kept his promise. He had acted and sent the Holy Spirit just like he said he would. The Spirit had filled them and they were filled with joy and with power and the mission of the church had officially begun. And then look at chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. This was the time for the apostles to embrace their new level of authority. They were the leaders of the church. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. So Peter preaches his sermon specifically, and there are lots of Jews around, but he specifically targets the Jews from Jerusalem. Why? Because they know the recent history of what's going on in their town. They know about what happened with this Jesus, it was local news. Peter says to them, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. One of my favourite verses in the Bible. What do you think this is, says Peter? Do you think this is schoolies or something? So he says, let me explain what's really going on. Verse 16. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Peter says they're not drunk. It's much more exciting and significant than that. This is the age when God fulfills his promise of the Spirit, the Spirit has arrived. Peter says, what you have witnessed is what your prophet Joel said would happen over 500 years ago. Joel said, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, and this is what's happening. We are in those last days. 
We live in a period of history that historians will say one of the features of is that we have a big focus on equality for all people. People have had enough of the oppression of women, of the marginalisation of, of people of colour, of the power of the richest 1% over the 99%. Pentecost shows us that the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, is the great leveller. God shows no preference based on gender, age or class. At Pentecost, God pours out his spirit on males and females, on young and old, on rich and poor, on the powerful and the weak. Even the slaves get a mention. Joel prophesied, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams, even on the servants, both men and women. God is available to all people and all people will be able to exercise ministry. The Spirit will bring access to understanding God's direction and plan to all those who call on the Lord. All people will have the presence of God living in them. And this means the Spirit is available to you as well. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have said yes to Jesus, then you have the Spirit. And if you haven't said yes to Jesus, you could, and then you would have the Spirit as well. I've just spent the last week uh, with about 34 young church leaders from across Australia who are doing a leadership training program called the Arrow Program. Arrow trains church leaders in character and leadership skills, and the aim is to set them up for the long haul so that they are able to survive 20 or 30 or 40 years of ministry. Well, many of them are in their 20s, so that, that's what they're, they're looking forward to. And so I'm in the team leading that program, and I've been doing this for over a decade now. And one of the things we know about the young leaders who come on the Arrow program, one of the most common things is that they often arrive with what we call the imposter syndrome. They sit around the room with the group, and they look around, and they quietly see the pastors, the, the assistant pastors, the youth and the children's pastors, the leaders of student ministries, dynamic and smart, articulate, and they think to themselves quietly, I shouldn't be here. I am not worthy to be sitting in this room with all these amazing leaders. They're talented, I'm not. So they feel like an imposter. And I think a lot of Christians feel the same way. Perhaps this is you. You don't put your name forward for leadership in the church or for ministry in your church because you feel like you're not good enough. You look around, you see, you see other people and you think, they're much more skilled than me. They're much more holy than me. They're much more interesting than me. No one would ever want to listen to me or follow me. But let me encourage you that the Holy Spirit makes the empowered Christian life possible. If you are full of self-doubt, know that you have the Holy Spirit as the wind in your sails. You can do it. You can serve people with the Holy Spirit empowering you and giving you courage. You can teach people with the Holy Spirit empowering your insight and your mouth as you speak. You can love people with the Holy Spirit giving you a supernatural kind of empathy for other people. 
It doesn't matter if you're really young and still a stu student at school. If you have said yes to Jesus, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You can minister to your friends at school. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're not very academic. The Holy Spirit offers you wisdom beyond anything that you can learn at uni. It doesn't matter if you are poor or on very low income. The Holy Spirit will make you bold with a boldness that money can't buy. Look at the power that the disciples had. Look at Peter. If anyone would have had the imposter syndrome, it's him. He is the one who only literally weeks earlier had betrayed Jesus by denying knowing him three times. Right at the moment when Jesus is being led to his crucifixion, there's Peter, the future leader of the church, denying Jesus, denying knowing him. And Peter must have been wondering how... See, see what happened was when Jesus rose from the dead, he confronted Peter and said, do you really love me? And Peter said, yes, I do. And then Jesus forgave him. And then he said, guess what, son? You're going to lead the church. <laughs> and Peter must have been thinking, how am I going to do this? I have no idea. I've never led anything. I'm a fisherman, for goodness sake. My faith is so weak, I'm pathetic. But now see the power that the Holy Spirit has given him. The Holy Spirit has opened his mouth and enabled him to speak the word of God with boldness, clarity and power. And if you have faith in Jesus, you have the same spirit empowering you with boldness, clarity and power. Well, Peter's sermon continues. Verse 20, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's referencing the sun and the moon and on this, this kind of cosmic darkness stuff because he's, he's saying the clock is ticking. God is moving. The time has arrived for you all to respond. Peter is saying that the only way to be safe on the day that the Lord's going to return is to seek salvation now and to respond to Jesus as the exalted Messiah and Lord. Call on his name and you will be saved. This is a reminder to all of us who are putting off, saying yes to Jesus or standing up and serving him. Time's running out. It's now or never. Get on board. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. In his urgency, Peter turns to summarise the story of Jesus. He's just preaching this sermon within weeks of it all happening. Weeks of the crucifixion, within weeks of the resurrection. And it's fresh in the crowd's memories. Notice how Peter draws them into, his, into the story. And he points out that, the, that they're complicit. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As, as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, Peter knows that this idea, this one about the resurrection, is the sticking point for many of them. But it's also the power of his message. By talking about the resurrection, God moves powerfully. That is the gospel message. This is the point that will divide the audience. 
Everyone listening to him knows that Jesus died. Everyone knows someone who saw it or thought they saw it themselves. But that he rose from the dead, they'd heard the rumours. But how could this be true? Peter knows that the claim is huge. So he turns to the Jewish scriptures to back up his claim. Because the Jewish scriptures, they, that all pointed towards the resurrection. This is what Jesus first had shown to Cleopas and the other, other disciple the other day when, when they were walking to Emmaus. He, Jesus taught him how to see it in the Old Testament, in the scriptures. Peter already referenced the prophecy of Joel. Now he adds some Psalms, Psalm 16 and, and Psalm 110, which both supported the notion of the resurrected and exalted Messiah. People in the crowd might have thought these psalms written by David were for David and David was the topic of the psalm. But in fact, Peter says they both point forward to Jesus and Jesus' resurrection. Verse 25, David said about him, that's King David, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. It sounds like David's the voice in this psalm. It sounds like it's David who is before the Lord the one who is God's holy one, who has his eyes fixed on the Lord and experiences God's reassuring presence, leading to joy and unshakable faith. It sounds like it is David who is confident that his flesh would, would um, live on in hope and that God wouldn't allow his soul to stay in Hades or let his body de decompose. It sounds like David who would be filled with God's presence. But Peter says it can't be David. It can't be David because we all know where David's tomb is. It's over there. So it can't be David. And they're all sitting there in the crowd going, you might be right about this. It has to be somebody else. It wasn't David. He died and was buried. No, it was someone who David saw. David saw with his prophetic vision. David was a king, but he was also a prophet. And he was able to look to the future and see that someone from his lineage would later sit on the throne. Psalm 16 was a prayer, but it wasn't a prayer of David. David's faith and confidence in God but as the prayer of his future successor, someone who would die but somehow defy death. So Peter says to the crowd, when David wrote Psalm 16, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. Peter says, what David predicted has happened. Jesus did rise from the dead, and all of us who think we are drunk are in actual fact now, you, you, you are awestruck. You should be awestruck at least at the beauty and majesty of God. We are worshipping the risen Jesus who now sits in the throne room of heaven at the right hand of God. It is that Jesus who poured out the Holy Spirit on us today. He then pulls out of his back pocket another psalm, Psalm 110, for proof that the scriptures predicted this. Verse 34, For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This focuses on the Messiah's exaltation to God's right hand. Psalm 110 is a conversation between the Lord, God, and someone else superior to David or David's Lord. And Peter makes the point that David never ascended to heaven. So it can't be David talking to God. But read alongside Psalm 16, these two Psalms work together pointing towards a resurrected and exalted Messiah, a holy one who as Lord has been exalted to God's right hand. 
So Peter, in his evangelistic sermon, puts these two psalms side by side in light of Jesus Christ and makes the bold claim that the God of both psalms has not only raised the crucified Jesus, but also made him both Lord and Messiah. Look at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? When the gospel is preached, it has a power to change people. And when the Holy Spirit is moving even extra powerfully, as the Holy Spirit chooses to do on occasions, that message supernaturally pierces the hearts of those listening. Perhaps you've had this happen to you. Perhaps it's happening right now. Your heart is stirred. You have to respond. It can happen when you least expect it. And I pray that perhaps it will be happening right now. They have to respond. Look at verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If they believe that Jesus really did die from the dead, rise from the dead, that, that he's God's promised Messiah, then they should turn away from their sins and be baptized. And at that point, he says, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Well, Acts 2 tells us that 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus on that day. A miraculous, amazing first sermon for Peter. Some of you have not been baptised, especially some of you who are younger. I want to invite you to be baptised this year. Anyone who has faith in Jesus can be baptised at any time. So you don't need to wait if you want to do it soon. We have actually booked in a baptism Sunday for September 12, and I encourage you on that day, if you haven't been baptised, to put yourself forward. If you are a parent of a child who hasn't been baptised, maybe you want to encourage them to think about that. Beck and I are both keen to baptise you. Don't put it off. Baptism's not the thing that you do when you reach some kind of level of maturity and expertise in Christianity. That actually marks the beginning of your journey, the beginning of your life with Jesus. Baptism marks your entry into the church. Uh, if you think of yourself as already part of the church or if you think of your child as already part of the church and they are saying that they're a Christian and already a believer, then you or they should be baptised. It is a step of faith, baptism. And if we have learned anything from Pentecost, it is that while you may not feel good enough to be a Christian, while you might feel like an imposter, know that God has given you his Holy Spirit so that you can be empowered for the Christian life. Well, after God sent the Holy Spirit, those Christians in Jerusalem who'd been waiting suddenly turned into a church that was fully alive. They worshipped together, sat under the teaching of the apostles, and they were constantly in awe at the miracles that were happening in their church. They were radically generous, shared their possessions and finances with those who were in need, and they continued to grow every day. I just want to finish by saying, as we head in our church towards a church plant in Fairfield, there is a lot to be done. We have to raise the money, we have to find the team. We have to do our research on the church building in Fairfield. We have to establish systems and begin the ministry. And all of this seems like a lot of work and it's quite daunting. But what the story of Pentecost shows us is that Jesus has not left us alone. 
We have the Holy Spirit as the wind in our sails. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, thank you for Pentecost and thank you for fulfilling your promise to send the Holy Spirit. And we pray that we will be a, a spirit-filled church, um, that we will be bold and have courage knowing that you have given us your spirit to live the empowered Christian life. Amen.